Well, uh, over the last few weeks, we have been learning together about some of the things in life that will rob us of shalom if we allow them to. We've seen how the Bible teaches us that in order to protect and preserve our experience of shalom, we have to identify those things that aim to steal it. And we have to understand specifically how our minds and our thoughts are often the battleground between God and his adversary. So to that end, we've looked at a couple of thieves already. We've looked at busyness. We've talked about anxiety. We've talked about, last week, about regret. And this morning, we're going to turn our attention to one other thief, one other significant reality that would steal your experience of shalom if you allow it. And that is deception. The power of deception. Let me share with you a brief story about a young man named Andreas uh, by way of introduction this morning. It's a story that uh, comes from a magazine called the Discipleship Journal. And the author of this particular illustration is a pastor named Mark uh, Max Stiles, and he writes of his encounter with this young man, a Swede uh, named Andreas. Here's uh, one part of their conversation. Andreas said, I've been told that if I decide to follow Jesus, he will meet my needs and my life will get very good. This seemed to Andreas to be a point in Christianity's favor. But at that moment, Mac writes, I faced a temptation to make it sound better than it really is. No, Andreas, no, I said. Andreas blinked his surprise. Actually, Andreas, you may accept Jesus and find that life goes very badly for you. What do you mean? He asked. Well, you may find that your friends reject you. You could lose your job. Your family might oppose your decision. There are lots of things that may happen to you if you decide to follow Jesus. Andreas, when Jesus calls you, he calls you to go the way of the cross. Andreas stared at me and asked the obvious question. Well, then why? Why why would I want to follow Jesus? Sadly, Mac writes, that is the question that stumps many Christians. For some reason, we feel that unless we're meeting people's needs, they won't follow Christ. Yet that is not the essence of the gospel. So I cocked my head and I answered, Andreas, the reason to follow Jesus is because Jesus is true. Jesus is true. So let's talk a little bit about the power of deception and the way that it 
works in our lives. Does Jesus meet our needs? Well, yeah, some of them, of course. He meets our need for salvation, and only he can meet that need. Does he meet our need for forgiveness? Of course. Nobody else can do that for us but Jesus. He meets our need for guidance, for provision. There are many needs that we can trust in Jesus' hands. But does he meet every single need that we'll ever have? Not necessarily. And especially if by the statement, he will meet my needs, someone expects Jesus to give them an A on their test or something like that. You see, the trouble with the statement, he will meet my needs, is that we all have different ideas about what our needs really are. But the, the second part of the equation is even more problematic, right? What did Andreas said? Uh, he was told by Christians that he should believe in Jesus because if he did, Jesus would meet his needs and his life would get very good. His life would get very good. So the second part of that statement that Andreas made is, is even more complicated. Is it true that life gets very good when Jesus is part of it? Well, in some sense, yes, right? If we decide to follow Jesus, will Jesus make our lives better than they were? Of course. I believe that wholeheartedly, and I hope you do too. But again, if you mean by a statement like that, that you will never have any trials or troubles again, then the idea is misleading at best and deceptive at worst. Jesus doesn't deliver us from every trial or trouble in life, as the story of Matt's mom illustrates. But Jesus promises to be with us in those trials and to help us through them, right? So we have to be very careful with the way that we represent the essence of the gospel to people, and we have to be very thoughtful about what we believe making sure that it's consistent with the truth of God's word and God's perspective. So this illustration then serves as an example of how subtle and how powerful deception can be in people's lives. And obviously, of of course, it's true for, for people like Andreas that are not yet part of the kingdom, have not yet come to faith in Christ. The biggest deception of all the first and most important deception that we have to overcome in relationship to God is the one that's represented in Jesus' discussion with the Jews in John chapter 8. Do we or do we not believe that he is the Son of Man, the Messiah, the one that God sent for our salvation and our blessing? But friends, beyond that, What I want you to hear this morning, what I want you to think about with me is the challenge of eradicating deception from our thinking. Because deception doesn't just automatically disappear when we come to faith in Christ, right? You know that, don't you? The battle against deceptive thinking is an ongoing battle in our lives, and we have to continue to root out any and every deception that we can identify. They're like weeds 
If, you're, if your mind is the garden of God, you have to be consistently about the business of weeding and rooting out any thoughts that are not consistent with how God sees reality. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this challenge of deception and what Jesus teaches us with his words in John chapter 8. And it starts with this, right? How is deception connected or truth connected with this concept of shalom that we've been studying? Deception, like anxiety, like regret, like busyness, the things we've talked about over the last three weeks, deception robs us of shalom. It robs us by holding our thoughts captive to ideas or beliefs that are not consistent with God's best for us. So, we have to recognize that this is an ongoing battle, an ongoing challenge. Our thoughts have to consistently be transformed by the renewal of our minds in keeping with the truth of God. We've looked at a couple different passages over the last several weeks that, that speak to this in very general ways. And uh, I'd like to just remind you quickly of, of two passages in particular that are relevant and related to what we're reading here in John chapter 8. The first one's from Romans 8, verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So bear in mind, as you think about that verse and as you contemplate it, bear in mind that we're talking about a spectrum here, not simply two opposing realities. It's not like there's a, a clear line of distinction and your mind is either completely governed by the flesh or completely governed by the spirit. When you come to faith in Christ, yes, you cross the line, you enter the kingdom, you begin a relationship with God, the spirit enters your life and is available to begin to govern your mind. But we're talking about a spectrum here. And for most of us, the reality is that our minds are sometimes governed by the flesh and sometimes governed by the spirit. Hello? Right? Can, can you relate to what I'm saying? Is this true in your experience? And so the challenge, the goal, is to continually submit our minds to God so that they can be governed by the spirit more and more. Now, think again with me about 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, another verse that we've looked at over the last several weeks that's related to what Jesus is saying in John 8. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is an amazing verse. I mean, amazing if you stop and think about this. As I shared with you last week, I think it comes to this. It really boils down to this. If you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. It's going to be one or the other. Which would you rather? If you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. And that's, that's not good, right? I mean, do you want anxiety to hold you captive? Do you want regret to hold you captive? Do you want deception to hold you captive? I hope not. 
So we have to be purposeful about taking our thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. So all of this, then, is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 8. Think about and remember how he spoke about captivity in this passage. It comes clear in verses 32 to 35. Hear these words again. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus' words then here connect truth directly with our experience of freedom from sin. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To the extent that you're still captive to sin in any way, there's deception behind and beneath it. So the clear implication is this. If you don't know and believe the truth, you are held captive by deception and the sin that results from it. Deception enslaves. Truth sets people free. And these are the words of Jesus. I mean, there are lots of people in the world that would not believe that statement that I just made, but this is the worldview of Jesus himself. These are the words of Jesus himself. Now here again, as with my earlier illustration, we have to think about how we experience this in, in varying degrees. So the Pharisees that Jesus was speaking with didn't believe the most essential truth of all, that Jesus was the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who was sent for the salvation of the world. They didn't believe that. They thought they had him figured out. They thought he was... He was deceived. They thought he was crazy. They were 180 degrees wrong. They were deceived completely. In fact, they were so wrong about their perspective of Jesus that Jesus essentially calls them children of the devil. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But here's what we have to bear in mind, right? For those of us who have placed our belief in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, those of us who have come to the revelation of who he really is, the process of eradicating deception from our thinking has only just begun. We don't choose to follow Jesus and then suddenly find ourselves automatically believing everything that's true. I wish, don't you? That would be nice. Deception and lies still hold the power to keep us in bondage in varying degrees, even if we've been set free from the eternal consequences of our sin. So in other words, knowing the truth 
and being set free by it is an ongoing process in our lives. The quest, the challenge that we're all engaged in is to become progressively more and more devoid of deception, free of deception. It's to root out every deceptive thought and belief that we can identify. So how do we do that? I, I referenced this idea earlier. In Romans 12, too, Paul talks about the transformation that we encounter when we submit our minds to be renewed by the truth of God. And, you know, there's, there's so much more that could be said about this. We, our, our time is short, and so I'm going to have to cut to the quick here. But, but basically what Paul's saying in these verses is, listen to this, Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul's talking again about a process, a process of transformation, a process by which your mind is renewed, a process that you have to be engaged in, willfully, committed to, working at. And the other thing that's significant here, and this leads us to a second point I want to make, is that Paul's identifying the source of the problem, deception. Listen to what he says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Why? Because the pattern of this world has been created by the powers of this world. And it's often contrary to the truth of God. So here's, here's a second takeaway that I want you to see from what Jesus says and what John writes in this chapter under our consideration this morning. Deception, as Jesus describes and explains it, is our enemy's native language. I mean, that's amazing. Deception is our enemy's native language, making it his weapon of choice to wield against us. Stop and think about that. If you've ever uh, spoken with someone who's not American, you understand this concept of a native language, right? And so if somebody comes from a different country and culture, they probably speak a different language. And whatever language they grew up with as a child speaking in the home, that would be their native language. It's not a foreign concept to most of us. But what Jesus is saying here is so insightful because what he's saying is that deception is the language of the devil. Native language. That's the language he speaks all the time, consistently. He does not speak truth. He speaks deception. He speaks lies all the time, consistently. That's his language. And you know, this is, the, to me, this is really fascinating with how this concept intersects with the, the realities at play in the culture around us. We live now in an age of postmodern relativism. 
I don't know if you're familiar with that concept or if you know much about it, but basically we've come to a point where the predominant view in our culture, the pattern of this world, has now become the idea that spiritual truth is non-existent. You can't, it can't be known, right? Whatever you believe is okay for you, whatever I believe is okay for me, there really is no spiritual truth. I mean, now we've come to the point even where the truth of science is being questioned and undermined consistently by cultural viewpoints and perspectives. So in California, a law was recently passed, uh, or at least being debated, I think it passed, uh, by the legislature there that would allow people not to specify on their driver's license whether they are male or female. They can now choose to be non-binary. This is now the law of California. I know it's not politically correct, but can I just say this is an example of the power of deception at work in the world around us. And there are many other examples we could point to. I don't have time to do all that this morning, but deception is alive and well. Lies are alive and well in the world around us, and the pattern of this world is full of them. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, what Paul's talking about is spiritual warfare. We are engaged in a battle over our minds. Your thoughts are the battleground. And what you believe, the ideas that you hold, they are the stakes. Listen again to how Jesus describes the reality of the devil and his power to deceive. John 8, 44 and 45. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Now, maybe I don't you know, need to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just remind you briefly that this has been the devil's pattern of communication from the very beginning. And so when we look at Scripture, we see this again and again and again and again, all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. So we read this in Genesis 3.13. The Lord comes and confronts Eve about what's happened with the apple. The Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent deceived me and I ate. He's still about the same, the same business, the same ploy. And it still works sometimes. So then we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to these words of Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he says. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
Paul's saying, the game hasn't changed. The rules of the game have not changed. The, The serpent's still about the same thing he's always been about, trying to get us to believe things that just aren't true. And we as Christians are not immune. The battleground is over our minds. So if he fails to keep us from believing in Christ, he doesn't just give up and quit. There's a whole host of other lies that he will turn to to keep us from being effective and faithful as followers of Christ. Do you understand that's the enemy's desire? That's his intention? To keep you from experiencing shalom. To keep you from being effective and fruitful. To keep you from growing toward maturity in Christ. To keep you from sharing your faith with others. To keep you from walking in obedience and holiness. And it's all rooted in deception. So just because we've come to believe in Jesus, that does not mean that everything we believe is automatically true. We are still vulnerable to the enemy's lies, and he still attempts to speak them to us whenever possible. He loves to deceive people into believing things about God or about themselves or about the world around them that are just not true. That's the battle we're in. Let me close with an example this morning because our time is just about up, but I want to just give you an illustration of the story of one young woman who learned how to submit her thoughts to the governance of the Spirit and to be transformed by the renewing of her mind. This is a story of a young woman named Anne who was impacted greatly by the ministry of um, Neil Anderson who wrote about the subject of freedom in Christ. And many of you may be familiar with his works and his ministry. She writes, Dear Neil, praise God. I think this is the answer I've been searching for. I'm not crazy. I don't have an overactive imagination as I've been told and believed for years. I'm just normal, like everybody else. I have struggled through my whole Christian experience with bizarre thoughts that were so embarrassing I usually never told anyone. How could I admit to someone in the church what had crossed my mind? I tried once to honestly share part of what I was struggling with in a Christian group. People sucked in their breath. There was stiff silence. Then someone changed the subject. I could have died. I learned quickly that these things are not acceptable in the church, or at least they weren't at that time in that church. I didn't know what it meant to take every thought captive. I tried to do that once, but I was unsuccessful because I blamed myself for all this stuff. I thought all these thoughts were mine and that I was the one who was doing it. There's always been a terrible, uh, closed, uh, a terrible cloud hanging over my head because of these issues. I never could accept the fact that I was really righteous because I didn't feel righteous. Praise God. I've discovered it was only Satan, not me. I have worth. 
the problem is so, so much easier to deal with when you know what it is. I was abused as a child. My mother lied to me a lot. And Satan used the things she said, like, you're lazy. You'll never amount to anything. Over and over, he's been feeding me so much junk, preying on my worst fears. At night, I would have nightmares that the lies were true. And in the morning, I would be so depressed. I've had a difficult time shaking all this stuff. Being abused, I was taught not to think for myself. I did what I was told and never questioned anything for fear of being beaten. This set me up for Satan's mind games. I was conditioned to have someone lie to me about myself, primarily my own mother. I feared taking control of my mind because I didn't know what would happen. I believed I would lose my identity because I wouldn't have anyone to tell me what to do. In actuality, I've gained my identity for the first time. I'm not a product of my mother's lies. I'm not a product of the garbage that Satan feeds me. Now I'm finally me, a child of God. Through all his junk, Satan has, through all this junk, Satan has terrorized me. I've been living in fear of myself, but praise God, I think it's finally over. I used to worry whether a thought came from Satan or myself. Now I realize that's not the issue. I just need to examine the thought according to the word of God and then choose the truth. So what am I driving at? What does all this amount to? Let me finish with a little summary, a, a word of encouragement, a word of invitation that comes to us from the heart of Jesus himself. If you want to experience more of the fullness of shalom, the abundant life that Jesus has invited you into, you have to consistently invite God to speak his truth into your heart and mind. Consistently. Invite him to do that. Seek him for truth. Seek him for revelation. Ask the Lord consistently, God, where are the lies that I've believed that have led me astray? Where are the deceptions in my thinking that need to be rooted out? God, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to know that's true from your perspective? And friends, you know, we can do that first and foremost by reading and studying the Word of God. The truth of God is in the Word of God, of course. But beyond that, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit has been given to you to guide you into the truth. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. So you study the word, and you invite the Spirit of the Lord to speak truth into your heart, into your mind. Invite him to reveal deception wherever it is so that it can be rooted out 
and replaced with the truth of God. That's the invitation of God. That's the encouragement of God. That is the truth of God's word for us this morning. Let's pray.